Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw today is September the 9th, I think. September the 9th, right. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, golly. Here in my notes. Uh, September the 29th is another fundraiser. Oh, my gosh, my gosh. I have some notes here about uh, what I'm going to be doing for that fundraiser. Ah, uh, making a tape of a book of my own. Aha! Yes, uh, books on tape. I hope to have that ready by September the 29th and I'll go on a roaring ego trip. Anyway, (laughs) I wonder if you listened to the news this morning. I've got to stop that. (laughs) Let us fly away to where the press does not depress us every day. I still have it ricocheting around in my head, all that stuff about bayonets. Yes, bayonets for the local bobbies. That's what they call the cops in Britain, a bobby. Uh, I think, well, the last time I thought about it, uh, I, I think the British bobbies don't carry guns. Now, I may be out of date. Maybe they've, maybe they've started to do that. I know they have cameras everywhere, but uh, the whole notion that, uh, uh, you know, they're out there to protect us, community, uh, cops, right? My impression is that they've just become one more gang among so many. Uh, anyway, no more venting, no more wringing of the hands, uh, I said, and then I looked up at my television and I saw something about, oh God, I think, rape of nanking, anyway, babies on bayonets. That was it. And I thought, uh, nothing turns people off like a discussion of, uh, the horrors, the horrors, uh, that are surrounding us today, uh, run away, run away from the carnage and the killing and the collapse of Western civilization. Anyway, the dark birds of history circling out there, vultures. uh, Actually, I think all this stuff, all this, all this uh, history is creeping into the minds and hearts of our Artists, our writers, our thinkers. Guess what? They don't have any other choice. Those people who create our culture, who write our stories. We are 
our stories. I know you're pretending that uh, our story isn't changing radically. Uh, Sunday night saw the finale of a fascinating show. It's on the Stars Cable Network. Uh Aha, a premium network. Ah, yes, that's one of those uh, cable networks that you have to pay for. Already we have a, yes, class warfare. Anyway, on the Stars Cable Network, you can get a show called Leftovers. Nine hours, yes, this season. Anyway, I stuck it out the whole first season to see what the filmmakers were after. And uh, I'm not, well, I'm not sure about the outcome of the plot, but I don't want to, spoiler alert, I don't want to tell you. So, uh, the show is called Leftovers, and I think that it does try to synthesize uh, what's going down. Yeah, yes, our national psyche, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. Uh, anyway, the show's very intriguing, I'll say that. It's all about our psychological set, our community, our minds and hearts, and uh, the bad faith that we may be acting out uh, here in our so-called civilization. Uh, Is it dying? I I have no idea. Uh, I think the script, of course, has to be very cryptic, the... Big question in the show is, uh, do you understand? Do you understand? Uh, are you aware? Yes, sure you are. Of course you are. The plot uh, introduces us to a small town, USA, with the usual suspects. The leading character is the local sheriff. In the book, it was the local mayor. Here we have a, a nice mayor, a, a sensitive black woman. But for uh, television, they decided to focus on the local sheriff, the cop, right? Uh, check out the local police, and that will tell you more about the community than anything else. Anyway... We have these collages, uh, families, groups. Um, there's a priest, two priests, actually, entirely different. One is a grounded guy. He looks like a Unitarian to me. Anyway, he cares. He's also strong, a uh, strong guy with, uh, I would say, fearless. Then uh, there's another guy, a religious egotist. A cult leader of sorts. We know about those folks. Uh, Member of Scientology, that kind of thing. Now, the question is, can this man, his name is Wayne, <laughs> can he give people hope, love, courage, or is he a fraud? Uh, think of... Uh, think of... Uh, oh, well, no, no, I mustn't use that as an example. I was thinking of the nation of Islam, uh, but that really doesn't apply here. Uh, but you know the sort of outfit where uh, the young women are exploited. Anyway, the premise of the plot, this is the premise, 
Apparently, three years previous to the opening of the story, there was a catastrophe. Ah. Two percent of the entire world's population disappeared. I will repeat. Uh, this is around the world, global. Two uh, percent of the total population simply disappeared. There was no natural disaster, no event, no bomb, no uh, catastrophic disease. People just took a look around and... Well, 2% of the living souls on Earth were gone, including one in utero. Uh, it's a woman, uh, she turns away from the uh, ultrasound machine for a moment, and then she looks back, and the fetus is no more. Also, there's a, a baby in the back seat of a car crying one moment and gone the next. These things we see in flashback, the uh show is set in the present, and we are informed that three years ago this event took place. Uh, the disappearance of 2% of the world's population. Now, just think about that. Uh, the plot then involves all the ways in which the people deal with loss. Got that? Or don't deal with their loss. The choices they make. I saw several of my, well, friends, acquaintances, uh, people I know, the choices they make. Now, of course, that's what drama is made of. The, uh, what is that, uh, the pain and the gain, all those elements of our spiritual malaise are laid out uh, to look at. I wonder, uh, the people are not happy, but they do seem to be capable of forgetting. Yes, oblivion, forgetting. Anyway, now, at first, of course, the big question is why? Was this event, was it the rapture? Mm -hmm. <laughs> image in the credits with all these lovely people uh, going off to heaven's painted uh, mural like uh, the Sistine Chapel, you know. Uh, I love that opening mural. Anyway, were those people taken away, the 2%, were they the elite? Uh, or were they sinners? Had they committed crimes? Uh, did they deserve to be disappeared? Uh, now, none of it seems to fit. It certainly doesn't fit any Christian mythos. Now, the show called The Leftovers, yes, is telling us that the leftovers are coping in their own way. Most, uh, well, they seem to feel, some of them, that they're being punished for their bad faith towards uh, their so-called loved ones. Uh, you figure it out. Anyway. Have the leftovers lost their capacity for love? Look around. Uh, are these leftovers in denial about the whole thing? They have annual um, ceremonies, yes. Memorials. I think of the Russians. Apparently every three miles you got a memorial in, in uh, Russia. Anyway, 
that people try to turn their grief into tradition, you know, like uh, burial ceremonies, kabuki. <laughs> I think of it, the military as kabuki ceremonies. Anyway, there is a strange group of people, uh, oddballs, and they picket these memorials. They carry signs saying, save your breath. You know, there's music and ceremonies uh, commemorating the dead. And these people come with a sign that says, save your breath. Uh, a fight breaks out as the people trying to mourn feel violated by these rude folks. Uh, now, this dissenting group, uh, I guess could be called a cult. Well, no, no. They, they Anyway, they live communally. They wear all white, nothing pretty, no, just kind of white sweats, tennis shoes, that kind of thing. Uh, the women seem to be the ones pretty much deciding things. Uh, they express their beliefs, if they have beliefs, uh, by keeping silent. They do not talk. They write down any essential information, any communications, and they also chain smoke. How about that? I think it's something about making a statement. Uh, there was a sign on the wall explaining that they smoke. Uh, what is that? Uh, <laughs> I don't know what, to show they exist. I don't know why they smoke. But this seems to be, uh, if not a death wish, some kind of grim comment on uh, our spiritual malaise. Now, this group is named the Remnants. So we got here the Remnants, and uh, by the middle of the story, we see the leftovers on the one hand and the Remnants on the other. And I think, um, I think it's what do you call it? Uh, leftover six, Remnants half a dozen. Six of one, half a dozen of another, yes. The question is, who wins? Maybe the question is, is it about winning? Uh, <laughs> a cluster of characters takes shape uh, over these nine hours. A secrets surface, of course. Uh, the people reach out or they reject each other, depending. The usual dysfunctional family behavior parent-child conflict, uh, lovers' quarrels. Uh, the religious men, there's two of them, right, reveal uh, their strengths and weaknesses, not the ones you would expect. There's a wonderful woman named Patty. I'm not going to give you the names of all these actors. You can check that out for yourself. It's a long list of credits. Uh, anyway, Patty. I love Patty. She's uh, actually the person most burdened, I think, most, uh, is it, plagued by the psychic mayhem that exists. The world really gets to her. She is, well, she's the leader of the remnants, whether they say she is or not. She kind of takes, takes charge. Uh, now, uh, her choices seem to be set up against the choices of a woman 
who has lost the most, technically. She lost her entire family, a husband and two children. Uh, what are the odds, people ask? Yes, if 2% of the world population were to disappear in a moment, what are the odds that all three of your uh, most loved family members, uh, your whole family should go? Uh, well, we all know. Uh, what the odds are, uh, think of the Holocaust people, uh, so many people who were the only one remaining, all dead, all ancestors, all relatives. In the end, of course, the issue is simple. Well, seems simple. To be or not to be, I mean, what is it to be? Uh, are we all leftovers? At the end of each day, are these dissenters just remnants, uh, tag ends, loose ends? To what end do we get up in the morning, brush our teeth, sit down to breakfast with people who are not there? I can't say whether or not uh, I recommend this show. I just wanted to point, point it out to those of you who think that it is interesting to see that our artists and writers are actually soaking up a lot of things that are going on in our world. Uh, the outcome at the end of this first season, uh, many people would argue with it, whether that well, I don't know whether you think it's conventional or whether you think it's uh, outlandish. I don't know. Check out the show, Leftovers, and see what you think. It's just that I'm always delighted to be surprised to find out that someone has uh, spun things a little bit differently. Uh, the old, what is it, the old good and evil... Uh, I think, you know, we can bury that. Another show I wanted to mention, uh, before I forget, uh, is called Outlander. Another one about get Outlander. Outlander in this show means an English person. Uh, it's on Showtime Cable Television, another exclusive channel. Sorry about that. Uh, this outsider or English woman uh, is not a leftover. She's a fantasy character. This is a total, total fantasy fiction. She is a woman uh, who is seen first in 1943, and then she time travels back to 1743. She jumps back 200 years, and of course, it's a long time from 1943 until the present. Uh, so we have two historical periods. Uh, the woman is a nurse in World War II, 1943. She's in Scotland on her honeymoon. Well, a second honeymoon with her husband. Uh, the war isn't over yet, I don't think. Uh, they visit some... Standing stones, you know, those wonderful monolithic stones. And uh, 
there's a lot of uh, a lot of ceremony having to do with uh, Halloween, you know, uh, Halloween, and the woman is transported back to Scotland in 1743. Now, the, the yes, the history lesson here. Well, there's a lot of stuff here. I I, I recommend this show for high school students. I think it'd be wonderful. Uh, uh, it's during the period of British rule in Scotland, the reign of George the Second. And the woman knows where she is. She's a good scholar. She's um, she's pretty quick to pick up on everything. And she says, I've got to uh, acclimate quickly or I'm done for. First person she runs into is an ancestor of her husband. Uh, in 1943, her British husband is an intelligence officer in the British War Office, World War II. He's suffered some serious uh, grief in that job his ancestor is a uh, a rake <laughs> this is a bodice ripper yes i i think i've discussed that before anyway his name is jack randall black jack randall and uh uh he's what is it he's only made a couple of appearances but uh, what they did uh, was they put thicker eyebrows on him i keep mentioning that as the only indication that he's a meaner guy in the past. Now, I just mention it because Anglophiles will love this series. I started to review it at length the other day, and I thought it isn't really necessary. Uh, It is what it is. It's a charming adventure. Uh, All this brouhaha about Scotland's independence. Uh, I think it's such fun. It's so deja vu all over again, you know. As if as if that sort of thing, you know, national boundaries was really the big issue. Uh, talk about historic. Uh, anyway, there is some uh, descriptions of the people in the past they're suffering well you know the gaelic language is used i i really like that i i thought i got to get a i got to get a uh, a little book and see if i can learn a little gaelic uh we know that the scottish rebellion of 1746 is on its way and we see these uh 1743 scots putting together this rebellion that the uh, character from 1943 knows is going to fail and uh, she knows they will lose she doesn't want them all to die but she knows it's inevitable uh, what's interesting is the parallels the historical parallels that's uh, why I say it might be useful for high school students uh, in 1746 when England crushes the Scottish Highlanders, the first thing, the most important thing that is forbidden them is their language, Gaelic, you know. Now, there's a long list. Think of it. Uh, think of South Africa, even in the 20th century, uh, where the indigenous people were denied their heritage, their language. This is always the way it's done you go to school only to learn the language and culture of the oppressor. Right, it's like history. It's going to be written 
by those guys. Uh, think of the USA, uh, what we did with the indigenous people, send them off to uh, Eurocentric schools. I don't know what to call them. Uh, white doesn't say much anymore, but... Uh, you know, the boss people. Uh, in Australia, you had all those Aborigines trying to carry on a culture that had served them for 40,000 years. And all of a sudden, here come these uh, strange people from a little island halfway around the world. And uh, they decide that uh, <laughs> they... They, what is it? I remember a wonderful movie. It's coming back to me now. Kenneth Branagh. It's called uh, Rabbit Proof Fence. That's the one. It's a wonderful movie for students, for young people. And it has all these kids, Aborigines. And they have been sent away from their families. In particular, their mothers. It's based on a true story. And these girls... Uh, struggle and struggle to hang on to their their lives, their culture, their mothers. And, uh, you know, uh, Kenneth Branagh sends his, um, what is it, uh, his, I think of them as soldiers, <laughs> he sends his, uh, his guys out to catch these girls. And, uh, you know, he even he has a slideshow at one point in that movie, Rabbit Proof Fence. He sits down a bunch of uh, Anglos, white women. I think there were a few men there. He gives them a slideshow in which he shows how you can breed out the uh, Aborigine blood. You know, you can uh, white out, some people call it. Uh, actually, Thomas Jefferson wrote something to that effect. I believe he went to, let's see, Quadroon, Octroon, I think, uh, 116th. Anyway, these guys seem to think that they, uh, they are serving these people by, uh, what's the word, uh, breeding with them by, uh, allowing them to become white folks uh, there's a masterpiece movie from Australia I haven't seen it around for years it's called The Chant of Jimmy Blacksmith if you ever get a chance to see that one it's a tragic film in which a young man who is uh, advised cautioned to marry white to uh, change his life and he cracks goes completely mad it's based on a true case and becomes uh, a murderer. He kills the people uh, that he's with, working for a whole bunch of young girls, beautiful girls. We see the blood splashing in the milk. Anyway, he becomes a, a runaway criminal, and a couple of people join him, a teacher, a, a, believe English, yes, a, a white, anyway, teacher. Anyway, uh, of course, he uh, he suffers the obvious fate in the end, but I think it, it was interesting to see one film in which uh, reality overcame the uh, the sometimes soapy uh, stories that we hear in which everything turns out all right. Sometimes when you 
are. What is that? Uh, choke people, oppress people. They crack. Think of uh, Richard Wright's book, uh, Native Son, in which the man doesn't understand who he is until it's too late. Uh, this has been Jennifer Stone. I will be back on the air next Tuesday at the same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, at least don't watch the news. Uh. is a test of the emergency alert system. Buffalo Field Campaign Roadshow to the Bay Area on Friday, September 26th, 7 p.m. at the Ecology Center, 2530 San Pablo Avenue between Dwight Way and Parker in West Berkeley. The show features storytelling and video from the land of the buffalo with campaign co-founder Mike Meese and the amazing native music of Good Shield Aguilar and Mignon Gelly. The campaign works to end the slaughter of the last wild